The Choose Love movement offers no-cost solutions that keep our kids safe, providing them with the skills and tools they need to flourish. Join us in our mission to create the world we want to live in, one that's connected and compassionate. Check us out at chooselovemovement.org. Together, we can choose love. Hey, everyone. It's Scarlett Lewis. I'm the founder of the Choose Love Movement, and I have a very special guest for our Choose Love podcast today. I have been waiting a long time, and I'm so excited for Dr. Ned Hallowell to join us today. Let me read his bio, very distinguished. Dr. Hallowell is a board-certified child and adult psychiatrist and world authority on ADHD. He's a graduate of Harvard College and Tulane Medical School and was a Harvard Medical School faculty member for 21 years. He's the founder of the Hallowell ADHD Centers in Boston, Metro West, New York City, San Francisco, Palo Alto, and Seattle. He spent the past four decades helping thousands of adults and children live happy and productive lives through his strength-based approach to neurodiversity and has ADHD and dyslexia himself. Dr. Hallowell is a New York Times bestselling author and has written 20 books on multiple psychological topics. I know he's working on another one too. The groundbreaking distraction series, which began with Driven to Distraction, co-authored by Dr. John Rady in 1994, sparked a revolution in understanding ADHD. Dr. Hallowell has been featured on 2020, 60 Minutes, Oprah, PBS, CNN, The Today Show, Dateline, Good Morning America, The New York Times, USA Today, Newsweek, Time Magazine, LA Times, The Boston Globe, and many more. He's a regular columnist for ADD Attitude Magazine. He lives in the Boston area with his wife, Sue, and they have three kids. And uh, just so happy to have you here and so blessed to call you a friend of mine. Oh, Scarlett, one of the best things that happened to me this year is meeting you. And uh, I'm blessed to call you a friend. You're you're a remarkable person. And uh, and what you're doing with this Choose Love uh, movement is just so spectacular. So I'm 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 thrilled and honored to help out in any way I can. Well, thank you so much. And this is a big help because our audience is very diverse and spans uh, every state in the country, as well as 120 countries, and everyone needs to know about ADHD. In fact, I remember the first time that we talked, and I think you got on and said, all right, well, tell me a little bit about what you're doing in the Choose Love movement. So I started <laughs> telling you, and within five minutes, you said to me, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? And I said, well, no, I haven't. You said, have you ever thought about it? And I said, actually, no, I never even thought about it. And then you asked me a list of questions and you said, I think that you have it. And you know what? Uh, I think that I do too, but it's really been helpful for me to put into perspective the way that I think how that impacts what I do. I can look back and kind of make a little bit more sense out of the choices that I've made. So I am really appreciating you and all the wisdom that you bring and our conversations that we've had. Yeah. When I tell someone, I think they have ADD, that's a compliment. Yeah. It really <laughs> yeah. is. You know, I, I wouldn't trade my ADD for the world and it, because it, the upside of it, you can't buy and you can't teach uh, curiosity, creativity, big-heartedness, um, tenacity, uh, strong will, never give up. 
think outside the box, visionary, dreamer, pioneer, mm. risk taker. Those are that's part of who we are, and you can't buy or teach that. You can't buy or teach curiosity or commitment to a mission or that, that kind of look at you. But and the the downside of ADHD, we can we can fix. You know, between coaching and uh, various uh, kinds of exercise. Um, and uh, finding the right job is a big one, and medication, uh, we can pretty much uh, shore up the the negatives so the the positives can take center stage. Well, can you talk about what ADHD, or as you said, ADD, what that is and what parents can look for maybe in their kids or themselves? Sure, sure. The uh, By the way, it, the, the I call it ADD because when I learned about this uh, condition back in 1981, it was called ADD. And I just, I'm an old dog. I, you can't teach me new tricks. So I, I couldn't i couldn't learn to put the H in there. But in the 90s, they stuck the H in just to keep people confused. Yeah, <laughs> change and, and, things and, up. Yeah, exactly. So tr strictly speaking, there is no ADD. It's all ADHD. Okay. But then there are two subtypes and, and the... The one that I have and, and most people have is called ADHD primarily inattentive, which means ADHD without the H, which they ought to just call ADD, but they don't. They call it ADHD primarily inattentive. And then there's combined, which means, uh, a, a, which is ADHD combined type, and that's with the inattention, but also with the hyperactivity and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, disruptive behavior and then the, theoretically there's also adhd uh just the hyperactive type but that's unheard of nobody has that anyway so and it, add is attention deficit disorder correct correct which is a terrible name uh which because it's there's no deficit at all i don't have a deficit of attention I have an abundance of attention mm, to you. And so to all of us who yeah. have this condition, our challenge is to control it. Uh, but we have attention coming out our ears. I mean, we're, we're bathed in attention. We're looking here, looking there, looking. We, we're, we, we're just like a popcorn machine in our brains. And, and, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's certainly not a deficit at all. If it were a deficit, it would be a form of dementia. And, and it's not. It's this... Uh, incredibly fertile, uh, you know, just exploding uh, cognitive apparatus that, that you know, we, you need help. I, I say it's like having a Ferrari engine for a brain with bicycle brakes. I so love that. This way powerful engine that is superior in, in every way, but the brakes aren't strong enough to control it. So you spin out on curves, you crash into things, you know, and and, and until you learn how to control this this maelstrom that's going on inside your head that life is difficult but the term attention deficit disorder is a terrible term and you have to know it because that's what it's called but don't think that that describes you or your child and and you know the the, the big undiagnosed group the biggest undiagnosed group are adults uh, you know now that we're we're seeing more kids so Adults, a lot of adults have it. And among adults, the biggest undiagnosed group are adult women. Because what happens to women if, if, they, if they go for help, uh, 99 times out of 100, they'll get diagnosed with depression and anxiety. 
and they'll be put on an SSRI, which is the last thing they need. Mm. Uh, but, but it's because the doctor doesn't even know, doesn't even think about ADD, adult ADD in a woman. And, and, and they do have symptoms of depression and anxiety because uh, having untreated ADD is anxiety provoking because you're forgetting things, you're misspeaking, you're showing up at the wrong place at the wrong time. You, you live in a, in a cloud of anxiety and uh, you may show depression because you know you could be doing so much better and you just don't know what to do about it. So you're underachieving, frustra frustratedly so, uh, bathed in anxiety and 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 what you get is some doctor naming these symptoms that are perfectly obvious and saying that's what we need to treat but that's not what we need to treat we need to treat the underlying cause which is the which is the the, the ADD and if you treat that then what happens let's say you treat it with stimulant medication you'll be better focused so your achievement level will go up and you'll feel more in control, so your anxiety level will go down. So, so by treating the problem with focus, you're you're treating both the so-called depression and the and the anxiety. Well, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Because really, the way that you treat depression is symptomatic, right? Mm -hmm. You go in, you tell the doctor your symptoms. They look in a book. If it's a symptom cluster that links to depression, then that's what you're diagnosed with and then you're medicated. And so how can you tell the difference? I, I'm all about getting to the root cause. That's what yeah. the Chief Love Movement does is getting to the root cause of yeah. the suffering that leads to all of these societal issues that we're seeing now. But how do you, how do you identify, how do you kind of weed out the root cause of whatever you're feeling and determine that it is in fact ADHD? Well, the short answer is you can't, uh, but, 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 but you, can, you can approximate it. And, and you do that just because we know certain patterns and we, we know the pattern that, that fits the model of ADHD. We know the pattern that fits the model of depression. We know the pattern that fits the model of uh, being bad at math. I mean, you know, so what, whatever the issue is, if we've seen it before and it fits a certain pattern, that's what a diagnosis is. It's, it's simply matching your symptoms up with known patterns. And um, uh, the, the, the symptoms of ADD uh, are, there's enough of them that they can define a pattern. And then that's, that's how you make the diagnosis. And that's what I've written books about. But it's very freeing to, to understand the diagnosis because you, you, you say, finally, there's a name for it. Mm -hmm. I'm not just a forgetful wingnut. I'm not just a chronic uh, loser. I'm not just a uh, underachiever, you know, and, 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 and blame yourself and all that. No, I, I have this condition. Um, uh, and and the, it is often the underlying cause of symptoms of anxiety and depression. And uh, it, it really, it really, um, it's interesting to put it into context because I know I did that myself. And the first time that we spoke, you said uh, that if you can become aware of it and control it, there are people with ADHD that have gone on to do incredible things. They're the inventors. They're the Nobel Prize winners. But I remember you said you can also end up in jail. Yeah, a, a, a big 
portion of the prison population has undiagnosed, untreated ADD. Uh, so does a big proportion of the addicted population. So does a big proportion of the unemployed, uh, the multiply divorced, the people who can't sustain any relationship, um, the, the people who are alienated, depressed, suicidal. You name the bad thing and ADD will be overrepresented. Um, uh, be because when it's undiagnosed, it's it's life is really tough, and and, and even mortality. Um, having untreated ADD knocks on average thirteen years off your life. Wow, that makes it, that makes it uh, as dangerous as cigarette smoking or diabetes. You know, and it, but it's not that the ADD itself kills you; it's what you don't do because you have ADD. You don't go to the doctor. You don't take care of your paying your taxes. You you don't you don't buy a car that has good brakes. You know you 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 don't learn how to control your anger, um, you know your your or your impulses, and then you when you throw in some alcohol, well that's what criminal behavior is all about: impulsive, impulsive, angry, often uh, inebriated or strung out on some other drug. What is it about the ADHD brain that differs from somebody that? does not have it? Well, I, I, that's a wonderful question. And and uh, I'll tell you my opinion, but my opinion is worth hearing because I've seen thousands of people who have this condition, but I am also humble enough to be able to say, I, I, I don't have the definitive answer. But, but in my opinion, what sets us apart more than anything else is our imagination. We have a, a huge imagination way bigger than other people. We're not aware of it because we've always had it. So we think everyone's like this and it's just not true. Uh, most people don't have near the imagination we have. Uh, now, because we're so imaginative, <clears throat> that means we're creative, original, think outside the box, entrepreneurial, inventive. Edison was a classic ADD. The guy who invented the polymerase chain reaction, the PCR test for COVID, won a Nobel Prize in chemistry, big time ADHD. Uh, I could go down and you know spend the, our whole time naming people who have the condition. So, so you know the 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 positives uh, mount up. Um, it, it's it's just that the, the the negatives can then get in your way. Uh, having a huge imagination is a two-edged sword because mm -hmm. as much as you can dream up new inventions new vistas new projects you also can dream up things to hate about yourself you you, you can dream up i'm uh, i'm just a loser i'm a bad person i'm a i'm a selfish person i'm you know i'm a lazy bum i'm uh, you know and and a lot of people with add spend a lot of time attacking themselves treating themselves really badly um, and, and, and just filled with shame and guilt uh, over what they haven't done, the mistakes they've made and, and the people they've offended and the jobs they got fired from and the, the, the goals they didn't reach. And a lot of their time, you know, can be spent in these horrible uh, hypnotic states of self-hatred. And, and that's a function of imagination also. So, Part of what you need to learn how to do is to control your greatest asset, which is your imagination, so that you can take advantage of its fruits, its its bounty, but not 
suffer because of its poisonous, uh, you know, emanations as well. And and th that's why it's so important to know about it. Because if you don't know about it, you know, the the criminal didn't sit in his bed one day and say, "What I want to do is if, have a future as a criminal." They right. they become criminals because that's the best solution they can find to the problem of you know getting food or you know you know whatever and so if if they knew they had ADD they they could get that treated and then they'd be able to get a regular job and and hold it or they'd be able to take their great ideas and and write a screenplay or something like that i mean wherever you find creative people you'll find a lot of ADD but 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 if it's not recognized you're at great risk for not just criminal but addiction um, uh, you know, in and out of relationships, the things I just ticked off, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, this, my mission is to try to bring the good news of diagnosis to as many people as I can, because if you don't know the diagnosis, you are at risk, you're at serious risk. Once you do have the diagnosis, then the risk goes way down. And so you you know, a child, I'm, I'm envisioning a child having difficulty in the classroom, sent down to the school counselor, the school counselor recognizes symptoms of ADHD, maybe does some testing. So there is a diagnosis, perhaps. And I, I think, though, that a lot of kids, we know the majority of kids don't get professional help. So my question to you is, if you're a parent out there and you happen to be listening to this and you think that your child has ADHD, it's really amazing if you can take them in, get them tested and get them in a, in a treatment sort of whatever that means, if it's just counseling or if it's medical treatment. Um, but how about for those that can't be treated. I mean, I know we've talked about medication before and you say the majority of patients don't go on medication or you don't recommend medication for. So for those that actually don't go to a doctor, I'm wondering what kind of advice you would give those parents or maybe even parents for themselves if they're listening and they're going, oh, wow, that sounds like me. I think that maybe this is what I've had my whole life, which, uh, which you know, within five minutes of talking to you, I realized. And so what are some steps that they can take other than to buy your ADHD 2.0 book right now, go and buy it because it's an incredible resource. Well, in fact, that's what I was going to suggest because- <laughs> There, I was there, answering my own question, really. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of folks who, who don't have access to treatment um, for various unfortunate reasons. But, you know, for $15, they can get my book. Right. And, it, and it's a very short book. Of all my books, it's by far the shortest. It's only 100 pages. Mm -hmm. And it has everything you need to know. A, to diagnose the condition and B, to treat the condition. And, and most of the treatments that I offer in the book do not involve medication. Mm -hmm. The last chapter tells you how to use medication if, if, if you have access to a doctor, but you, you don't need to use medication. Um, the, the key to treating it is A, recognizing it and getting mm -hmm. rid of what I call the moral diagnosis. You're a bad person. 
mm. and replacing it with a neurological diagnosis you you can't control your impulses um and then and then setting up structure coaching uh exercise programs nutrition uh non meditation non medication ways of of you know supplying breaks for your runaway brain for your ferrari I, brain i love really that ferrari brain and 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 really celebrating who you are i mean that the older you get undiagnosed the 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 lower your self-esteem usually is because you've been corrected reprimanded uh embarrassed so many times that it's just it's it's just second nature to you to think poorly of yourself mm -hmm. and 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 so a, a lot of the work has to do with saying um in fact i i just said to a patient of mine you should put this on a sticky and put it on your bathroom mirror you're better than you think you are mm. uh, people with add almost uniformly are better than they think they are mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and they can usually accept that because uh if you if you say you're wonderful they'll say no i'm not and and, and they'll cite chapter and verse why they're not but if you can say you're better than you think you are then they say yeah i i think i'm awful so maybe i'm better than that <laughs> mm. i wonder uh, but, i wonder what the correlation is because they say that 85 percent of americans lack self-esteem i wonder what the correlation is with that and undiagnosed adhd i'm sure there is one. Oh, huge huge it, it, 85 percent of americans do not have adhd so it doesn't explain at all but it but yeah. Uh, of people who have ADHD, low self-esteem, I would say undiagnosed, untreated ADHD, I, uh, low self-esteem approaches 100%. Uh, I hadn't heard that about 85% of Americans have low self-esteem. The book I'm working on right now is about self-esteem. So I, I, uh, that's, a, that's an amazing statistic. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll send you the slide. I mean, that's the majority. And when you think about the the power of self-esteem in our lives that's how we feel about ourselves it's so important that's the difference between uh you know having somebody give you a sideways glance and you taking it personally and right. having it impact your entire day right. the flip side of that if you had higher self-esteem you would look at that and you would say gosh i wonder what happened to that person and i wonder what i because i know that it's not me right, i right, feel right. good about myself i'm doing right. the best that i can so i wonder how i can help that other person i mean that's right. a big difference huge and and you know it, it's there's a name for that by the way what you just described it's called rejection sensitive dysphoria and it and it means you you overreact uh to the least bit of criticism um uh, or or disappointment or you misinterpret as the sidelong glance you misinterpret and personalize what was not a re rejection at all but you you think it was and so you go into a swoon over that you, you overreact don't have the the safeguards don't have uh the, the shock absorbers to deal with it. And so you're you're just at the mercy of of, of life. And, and every single day, probably every hour of every day, there's something that happens that you could interpret as a as a rejection, a slight, a diss. And and if you're constantly going into, you know, swoons of self-hatred over that, that that's that's really tough. Um, it's very sad. And if you think that our brains 
are really wired for fear. Yes. They're wired to keep us safe anyway. Yes. So whatever happens, your brain is ready to put up its metaphorical dukes right. at any time. And we really need to be able, we need to be aware of that. And then we need to have the skills and tools to be able to override that survival instinct and go into uh, our prefrontal cortex and be able to what we call at the choose love movement thoughtfully respond with love mm -hmm. and that is working from where logic and reasoning reside and having a more productive response for yourself and everyone else right and you know you're you're, you're so right on i mean that's why i love your your movement choose love and and, and it's a choice you can make I mean, it is true, our deeper reflexes uh, immediately, you know, if, if you're hurt, your immediate reflex is to hurt back. You yes. Know? And uh, I wrote a book about forgiveness. And so I asked a lot of people, you know, if, oh, if you, if you get, if you get hurt, uh, what do you want to have happen? They say, I want the other person to hurt as much as I did, if not more. And that's sort of a reflex, a human reflex. And then what you say, and, and I totally agree with you. Uh, the the mature, civilized, desired response is to say, no, uh, I, I want to somehow understand why that person did that mm. and, and then, uh, you know, provide what help I can for that person. See, when we say I demand justice, what we're really saying is I demand revenge. We, we equate revenge with justice no one no one says well, i demand justice they're not demanding the person be understood and forgiven at all interesting they're, they're demanding that they be judged bad and then made to suffer in some way punished, or, punished. Yeah. Exactly. yeah exactly and and the whole retributive versus restitutive form of justice you know the the amount of money we waste in, in in the prison system is staggering and and yet people back it up vehemently they they think people like me who say we you should have restitutive justice we're bleeding heart liberals well no we're not we're very practical if you if you want a program that works that reduces crime that reduces violence don't go for the retributive form of justice. These prisons are just schools for schools for criminal behavior. Uh, if you weren't a criminal when you go in, you are when you come out. And how anyone could think it, it, it's it, in any way useful to a person or society to spend 10 years in a prison. I mean, it's just, it's stupid, aside from being all the other things that it is. It, it's counterproductive but but you come along i come along and say choose love they laugh at us you 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 naive fool you know and 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 yet and yet we're right if people did choose love the world would be a whole other better place well i think it's twofold i think that one if we can label a bad guy then we're the good guys and then we're not responsible for what happened. All of that goes on them and we don't have to do anything about it. That's one thing. And of course, we're all connected and we're all responsible for what goes on in our world. That means that we all have to take positive action. Um, we're, we are here to care for one another. That's what uh, Charles Darwin actually said. He, he never concluded survival of the fittest. 
he concluded survival of the most sympathetic. And by sympathetic, he meant altruistic, generous, and compassionate. So in other words, we help one another, we help ourselves. And the amazing thing is that's what all the compassion research culminates in. When we have an outward focus and we help other people, we help and heal ourselves. It's like the most powerful thing that we can do, but we don't realize that. We want someone to blame and uh, the other thing is, you know, I believe that our justice system is supposed to be restorative and uh, it's it's really not that when you're sitting in a cell, you're not learning anything. Uh, and and these people are there because they didn't have the coping skills and the social emotional competence to make better decisions. And so it's so important that they learn that. And by the way, Ned, I think since we last spoke, we actually launched a Choose Love prison program in the prisons in New Hampshire. I just wanted to tell you that through the Department of Corrections. Wow. We have other states that are interested too. And these, these uh, felons that are learning this material, these essential life skills, they say, wow, if we had known this, we wouldn't have done what we did. We wouldn't have made those choices, but they didn't know it was a choice. Exactly, exactly. And they they had the deck stacked against them and and, uh, and, and that nobody was trying to teach them, help them. Um, but, you, you know, you are unusual, I, I think. And, and, you know, you're like the, when I was writing my forgiveness book, I interviewed this woman who, whose uh, uh, son was killed in 9-11. And, and I said, you know, tell me how you feel. And she said, the minute I found out about it. I forgave him. No, I forgave the 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 people who in the planes who who made it happen. And I said, "How could you forgive them?" She said, "Because I knew they were wounded children." She was a school teacher, and she said, "I knew they were wounded children." And she overrode her feelings of rage and desire for vengeance. And you did the same when your son was horribly murdered, and and you know and you know, first saved a bunch of other kids and then lost his life to this guy. Instead of your, you know, wanting the blood of the 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 man who killed him, you you were out there understanding and telling people we've, we've got to end violence. And and you know, it, it's such a different response. But the future of the world depends on our learning that. That's right. If we continue to call people that do these atrocities evil, um, what they did was evil, but we have to look to see were they born that way? And then how did they become that way? And you'll find every time it is a life filled with neglect and abuse and just all of this pain and suffering and, and prolonged pain changes you and you can no longer think clearly obviously somebody who's gonna blast his way into an elementary school is not thinking clearly and is very very ill um and unless we look at the root cause of that you know if we blame the guy and then you know once he's either dead or or in jail for the rest of his life think that we've resolved anything exactly exactly we haven't, we haven't learned anything exactly we've changed nothing except you know the rest of his life and and we if anything we've made him worse 
yeah. then you've got you've got so many others that are planning the same thing out in the world. But, but what sets you apart? Why were you able to immediately reframe it? And instead of demanding revenge and wanting this guy to be put to death, how how did you how did you extend yourself empathically? Well, I will say, first of all, that he took care of that for me. He killed himself as he heard the approaching cop cars. So I did not have to have a trial and all of that. Um, But, you know, I have a tremendous faith and I really relied on my faith those first few days. Um, I believed that. And as I said to my older son, really at the firehouse before, we even knew if Jesse was coming back or not. I said, we, you know, if, if we find out that Jesse died, we know where he is and we know that he is, uh, you know, in paradise, he's not experiencing pain ever again. And it's going to be harder for us. And I truly believe that, you know, and I'm a single mom. So I, it, it was just me and I had to model for, my son, who was 12 years old at the time, had to move through that. And that actually helped me be a better version of myself. But then I also knew that it would just seem common sense to me that someone who could do something so heinous must have been in a tremendous amount of pain. I mean, I I just knew that innately. And I got curious as to what that pain was and then realized, wow. And he had called out for help in the way that kids do so many times and no one heard him. And I mean, it makes me mad for him when I hear these stories and I can actually understand how he went from, you know, that initial hurt and it just grew uh, upon itself and, and became even more aggravated all the way up. It's called the pathway to violence, starts with a grievance and then stair steps up into an attack. And I could see how that could happen. Um, I, I, alternatively, I also know that if he had been, if he had had nurturing, healing love from the beginning and throughout, if he had been able to manage his pain, if he had had some self-regulation techniques, if he had been able to help himself find relief from that pain, um, if he had been given the services that he was tested for and everyone knew that he needed. I mean, there are a whole, there are some different things, but if those things had happened, he never would have done what he did. Well, say, say someone's listening out and, and they say, uh, well, I can't change society, but I can change myself. I'd like to be more like Scarlett, but I don't have it in me to do that. What what would you say to that person? How, 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 how can they become more like you? Well, I'll take a, I'll take a page from the Dr. Hallowell book. I, I would say by my book called, I mean, this is basically the cover, Nurturing Healing Love, and that's the first six months of my journey. And you will literally get into my head of what I was thinking and how I was managing my tremendous pain. I mean, it's not that I didn't have pain. I, I, I at one point thought that I was going to dissolve. Like I would look down at my hand and I'd be surprised that I was in physical form. That's how bad my pain was. But at the same time, faith helps a lot. 
But there were also skills and tools that I learned that I've then put into the Choose Love movement, including post-traumatic growth. The fact that pain has a purpose in our lives and it's there to help us grow. That was really tremendous. Would you say it's within anybody's reach? That if 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 you if you something terrible has happened, instead of lurching toward revenge and anger, is it within everybody's reach to choose the other direction? It is not only within everyone's reach; it would behoove and benefit everyone. Everyone would benefit from forgiveness. As you know, and by the way, this is the best book I've ever read on forgiveness. And I've read every single one that I could find. You. Um, you know so much about forgiveness. And this was this was probably the biggest tool that I used in my journey was letting go of the pain and changing the narrative that I was telling myself, assigning a different meaning to what happened. And then, of course gaining a purpose in my life. Um, positive action is the opposite of so much pain. And so taking that positive action, and as you so aptly said, directing my ADHD <laughs> through the movement. <laughs> but that, but what a, and like you say, anybody can do it. So you don't have to be a saint. You know, some people say, well, Scarlett, she's different from most people because she's a saint. Well, no, I mean you 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 were a person feeling horrible pain. But oh yeah, not not a saint at all. In fact, that's also part of the reason why I could forgive because I've made mistakes in my life. Um maybe not to that level, but right, certainly right. I I have and so uh yeah, I'm just I'm just a, I'm just a person. That's why I know that everyone can do this because if I can do it, anyone can. And and that's such liberating news. I mean, you, you you're not saying you have to be a hero. You're not saying you have to be made out of something different. Uh, you, you know that that it it is within you. Um, you know to 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 respond to whatever you call the force of goodness. You know, and and it it will it will pick you up. Yes, absolutely. And it's always there and it's available for everyone who's listening right now. We all have this internal fortitude. It's just figuring out how to unlock it and it's not hard and yeah. it's it's available and it's wanting to come out. Uh, it's just that our brains aren't really, our brains are wired more for surviving than they are for thriving. I will well, say that. What, so what I'm sorry to interrupt again, but what about the people who who have no faith? And, and th that's a lot of people I know because I live in a part of the country that the, the main religion is atheism. So up, up here in Cambridge. And, uh, but what about those people who have who scoff at the idea of he's in paradise, who, who say he's he's been incinerated? He's he's nothing. What, what do you what do you say to them? Well, I mean, the uh, choose the whole choose love movement and all of our programming um, is, uh, you know, doesn't have a religious basis. Uh, it's but it's love. Love is something that connects us all as human beings. We all have a want and need to love and be loved. Uh, and when we don't have love, we suffer. So we but have. You, you you, I'm sorry, but you don't have to believe then in paradise or God. 
you but you you believe in love i mean anyone can believe in love Ab- well it's what connects us all as human beings love <laughs> and together we're stronger so we really are we are more similar then we are different. I mean, there's a lot of focus on how we're different these days, but in essence, as you know, we are 99.9% genetically the same, regardless of what our outer shells look like. And that includes love, but it also includes pain. We all feel pain physically, mentally, and emotionally it's the human condition. And so we need some skills and tools to be able to manage that pain. And actually that pain is there to help us learn, grow, and be strengthened. And we just need to kind of focus our, our efforts. And, and it does take some effort and it takes personal responsibility for your pain. And uh, in that way, though, you can be part of the solution to it and you can be the best version of yourself, anyone. That's you're you're you're, you truly are an inspiration, Scarlett. That's uh, it's wonderful to hear you talk. uh... Well, I'm trying to transmit this to everyone else. And as you said, it's it's available for everyone else. And, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about, uh, I had referred a student to you and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. She had been having, she's an amazing person and, uh, just such a leader, a born leader, just seemingly excelling in every aspect of her life in school, in her community. She was leading clubs, but she was having relationship issues. She was, uh, the uh, the teaching staff found her a bit abrasive, and uh, it was she just having some relationship issues. And so it was funny because I had talked to you that morning, and I talked to her that afternoon, and I said, "I think that you have ADHD." Here I am now diagnosing people after just having been diagnosed myself. Well, but um, really quick study, you know, <laughs> quick study, right? Well, I'd already read half your book yeah, by yeah. four p.m. that afternoon. And uh, she uh, she spoke to you and is just, I mean, it put everything into context for her and set her on a different path. And she has made so much headway since then. And I know she's going to do incredible things. And I'm so grateful for the help that you gave her. So glad to hear that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So many great stories in this. There's also another story. Um, this is uh, Dare to Forgive. And there's this is just like the Bible of forgiveness. And uh, I can't say uh, enough great things about this. You, there was another story in here. You were talking about stories um, about a mom whose child went missing. And then was uh, she found out later um, just horrifically abused and, and, and was killed. Um, and, and that one really struck me because right after Jesse's murder, I remember really some of my first thoughts were, cause everybody was saying to me, well, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being. And for some reason, for me to be able to survive, I had to think of something that would be worse. So mm-hmm. I was racking my brains and I thought, yes, there is something worse. Your child goes missing you find out three weeks later they were in uh, some pedophile's basement, uh, being sexually um, uh, abused, and then and then they wind up dead. So, yeah. uh, but but you had 
a a woman who had that story in here. And I I was that that really was riveting to me because people say to me all the time, well, I can't believe that you forgave your son's killer. And I look at them and I'm thinking in my head, I did it for myself. (laughs) I did it so that I I wasn't a victim as well. I did it so that I could find joy and happiness. But, you know, I, I think I see other people and lots of people share their stories with me. And I think, whoo, that's a doozy. Well, you know, the, the woman you mentioned from the book, uh, she 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 didn't uh, she got to meet her her daughter's killer unlike you uh, who who killed himself this man went to trial and obviously was found guilty of a horrible murder and this mother spoke at his sentencing trial asking that he not be given the death penalty mm. you know and and everyone was saying string him up and all that kind of she said no uh, I don't want the monument to my daughter's death to be another death, you know? And and just very impressive kind of. It know. really is. And there's also this thing called vicarious post-traumatic growth. Yes. You can actually become stronger by listening to other stories. And it's interesting, uh, growing up, my my boys and now JT kind of makes fun of me because of it. They would get, so we didn't have a TV, uh, but they would get big boxes of books for Christmas. And JT was talking about the types of books that they would get the other night during a little dinner party and kind of poking fun, but saying, yeah, they were fantastic books. Like what's the name of the guy that was on a horse and broke his neck and became paralyzed. And then we read about the guy in World War II that was in a concentration camp and was tortured. And then we read about, you know, just going through all of these books and 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 they were, I would pick out real life stories, harrowing. Um, and read them to the boys when they were young. And JT jokes now and says that they were probably too young to handle that material. But I will say that I do believe that we all picked up some vicarious post-traumatic growth from those books. And our brains are wired to want to learn survival techniques and yes. the way through things better. And so better to read those incredible stories with amazing outcomes. I mean, in thoughtful response, because you can't always choose what happens to you. You right. can choose how you respond. Then the cr- crime shows on TV that loop 24 hours a day that recreate these scenes and all of this. I know so many people that watch those on a loop and our brains are attracted to that, but I'm not sure exactly how productive that time is that we're spending. That's terrible. It's stimulating, but uh, awful. Stimulating in a, in a very destructive way, I would say. But um... You know, that reminds me, um, I wanted to ask you about the role that you think dopamine plays with ADHD. Well, it, you know, it's the 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 pleasure molecule, and and it it drives the interesting thing about dopamine. On the one hand, it's you you feel a reward, you feel pleasure, you feel joy, but on the other hand, um, 
if, if what you're doing is destructive and it stimulates dopamine, then you'll want to keep doing it. And the, cl the classic example is drugs and alcohol. They, mm -hmm. they also uh, stimulate dopamine. So you want to get your dopamine hit in a constructive way, not a not a destructive way. There's you can now you, the the ways that I recommend are exercise, uh, intimate relationships, uh, a creative outlet, working for a cause. Those are all those all lead to dopamine. Then um, the destructive ways are you know obvious the the addiction, um, really dangerous behavior, extremely dangerous behavior um uh, uh risk taking uh, crime for that matter uh, very exciting you know and and you know the, the it's it, 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 it so you dopamine itself uh, is neither good nor bad but uh, but how you get it uh matters a lot yeah i've i've been saying actually my mom came up with this it's funny cuz we were having a talk about dopamine on the way home from maine during our 5 hour drive uh, this summer, actually, and I was talking about dopamine and how uh, it's associated with gambling and drug addiction, but also scrolling on our phones, right? The novelty of what news item is going to come up next or what offering or what ad. They're dopamine labs to drive our dopamine so that it makes our cell phone. I don't know where mine is. Now that's making me nervous. I'm just kidding. Uh, but it but it, it drives our usage. I call it like a handheld crack pipe, our phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all addicted. And uh, and I was saying, you know, it's it's different than the 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 uh release of all these other neurochemicals that we get when we look at each other in the eye, when we're present, when we're in uh, good relationships and choosing love, and that's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And she was like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, that's an acronym, isn't it? What is that acronym? It's dose. You get a dose of love. And I was like, oh, I love that, mom. Thank you. All our greatest ideas come from my mom. <laughs> So, so it's like that's great dose i didn't think of this so dose. oxytocin serotonin and uh, endorphins yeah it's called the happiness quartet but it also gives you a dose of nurturing healing love whereas dope dope dopamine is like kind of a one-hit wonder that mm -hmm. always leaves you wanting more okay well thank you so much for joining us ned this has been an absolute pleasure uh, I, we will include the link to your website and your book, but we will continue these conversations. I just love well, you so much. You're, you're an amazing woman. You're absolutely a hero. And, and um, I, I just am honored that you had me on your show and, and I would love to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much and have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's all part of us, we can all choose love, it'll lift you up, if you let it in, let go.